We're going to turn our attention now to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in Luke 18, verses 31 through 43. Uh, I see some new faces. If you're visiting with us, welcome to River of Grace. My name is Elliot. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're currently going through the Gospel of Luke together. Uh, And Jesus has set his face to the city Jerusalem, where he's going to celebrate Passover with his disciples. But even more than that, he will become the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world on the cross. So that's where we're headed. And today, uh, this portion of Scripture has a lot to do with seeing Jesus for who he is, or being blind to who he is. So we're going to talk about seeing Jesus from Luke 18, verses 31 through 43. And as I read this passage, just cue in to the words that talk about seeing or blindness or any of those themes throughout. So hear God's word, Luke 18, starting in verse 31. Then Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. Everything that is written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked, insulted, spit on, and after they flog him, they will kill him, and he will rise on the third day. They understood none of these things. The meaning of the saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. As he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Hearing a crowd passing by, he inquired what was happening. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, they told him. So he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those in front told him to keep quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. When he came closer, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. Receive your sight, Jesus told him. Your faith has saved you. Instantly he could see, and he began to follow him, glorifying God. All the, pe- all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. This is the word of the Lord. You, God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit of God, please open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. Open our eyes to see the wonder of wonders, Jesus Christ, in today's passage. And I pray that you'd set our hearts on fire for him, as you did for those early disciples on the road to Emmaus, and help us to follow him with devotion. Amen. So we see in this passage and in history that Jesus is the most misunderstood man in history. Many people in his own day misunderstood him. Even as we'll see today, his disciples, after being in his seminary course for three years, eating with him, doing ministry with him, taking Sabbath with him, they don't understand what he's about. And many in our day misunderstand him. All world religions have their opinion on who Jesus is. And on Twitter, and in the news, and in conversations, and as we approach Easter, you'll see in the tabloids, in times, everyone has their opinion on who Jesus is. So how do you know if you are seeing him rightly? How do you know if you are seeing Jesus rightly? Well, the good news is, you don't have to um, enroll into a graduate level course 
to learn about Jesus, who he really is, all you have to do is ask him for sight. That is the gospel, the good news for us this morning, that to see Jesus clearly, all we have to do is ask for mercy. To see our King and Lord clearly, all we have to do is ask for mercy. And it's a little ironic, but our guide on seeing today will be a blind beggar. And I want us to ask three questions. What blinds us to Jesus? How can we see Him? And what happens when we see Him? What blinds us to Jesus? How can we see Him? And what happens when we see Him after all? So let's look at verse 31. What blinds us to Jesus? So remember, Jesus is doing ministry and He's going to Jerusalem where He will be crucified for the sins of the world. And in the midst of all the noise and ministry, Jesus calls his inner circle, the 12 apostles, to himself. And he says, okay, we're going to Jerusalem, and this is what's going to happen there. Everything written about the Son of Man, the Messiah, is going to be fulfilled. And he summarizes this in verse 32. This is what the Old Testament writers and prophets prophesied. Verse 32, he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked, insulted, spit on, and after they flog him, they will kill him, and he will rise on the third day. This is the third prediction in the Gospel of Luke of Jesus' suffering, crucifixion, and resurrection. And we see in this passage that in verse 34, they, that meaning the apostles, they understood none of these things. The meaning of the saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. For these apostles, um, as boys growing up, as Jews going to synagogue and hearing the stories of the Old Testament from their parents, they were saturated in all these promises and these hoped-for expectations for the Messiah. And they knew that this king was coming. Jesus here calls himself the Son of Man. You see that in Psalm 8. You see that in the prophecy of Daniel. But the Son of Man was given dominion and glory and power over every single people group and language group to reign on God's behalf. And his kingdom would never end. So that's what the disciples were looking for. So when Jesus also starts talking about being beaten and flogged and handed over to the Gentiles and suffering on a cross, they're like, no comprendo. That's not the Messiah we've been waiting for. They may have forgotten about Psalm 22 or Isaiah 53 that prophesied that the king who is coming would also be a suffering servant. God would bring his reign on earth through King Jesus, but in order for him to make everything that was wrong right, he would have to suffer on behalf of his people to take on their sins, to make peace with God. And so the apostles did not understand. It says the meeting was hidden from them. They were spiritually blind to the significance of what Jesus was talking to them about. And we should pause here and consider that you can be near to Jesus and not really see him. The apostles were with Jesus uh, day in and day out for three years. And after three years, towards the end of his ministry, they still don't understand what he's going to do. Why? 
We, we really don't know why exactly here. It doesn't spell it out for us. It says that it was hidden from them. Later on, after Jesus resurrects, he opens the scriptures to them. He opens their minds to understand the scriptures. But we could make some guesses as to why they didn't understand Jesus, why they didn't see him for who he truly was. Like I said earlier, the disciples probably had predetermined expectations from their reading of the Old Testament, of who the Messiah would be. And if you step back to look at uh, this chapter as a whole, you see there are three groups that are blinded to Jesus. First are these disciples. They have these predetermined expectations. Jesus doesn't fit the box that they gave him, and so they don't really see him. And for you, that might be the tradition you grew up in or your upbringing. That might be your previous church experience. Uh, maybe through personal study and reading, you have these expectations for Jesus that he doesn't quite fit. Um, Also, riches could blind us to who Jesus is. We heard about the rich young ruler last week. And when Jesus said, give everything you have away to the poor and follow me, he left Jesus sad. He couldn't see the treasure that was standing in front of him the king of kings. And so riches blinded him to Jesus. Jesus taught elsewhere uh, in the parable of the sower that riches and the anxieties and cares of this world can blind us to him and prevent the seed, the word of God, finding a home in our hearts. Uh, There's another possibility why we might be blind to Jesus. And we hear this in uh, verse 9 of chapter 18. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. So self-righteousness or self-sufficiency, or to put it in New England lingo, the all-set mindset can blind us from Jesus. So which one of these, if you step back and, and look at this list, which one of these tends to blind you from seeing Jesus for who he really is. Well, this really is a call for humility that we can hear about Jesus uh, on Sundays. We could gather with the church uh, on Sundays in our community groups. We could read the Bible every single day. We could spend time in prayer and we could still miss it on who Jesus is. So the starting place for seeing is admitting blindness. It might not be total blindness. Maybe you are a devoted follower of Jesus, but you're just a little left of center on who Jesus is. So let's start with humility and admitting blindness. And here's, here's a great reminder from Proverbs 3, 7 through 8. Proverbs 3, 7 through 8 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Later in Romans 12, verse 16, the Apostle Paul, when he's speaking to the church about how they should live with one another in harmony, he says, never be wise in your own sight. So if your heart's desire, you want to see more of Jesus, let's start by admitting, I can't see everything. I know I I have some skewed perspectives of who you are, Jesus. Help me with my blindness. So after we admit our blindness, let's talk about how we can see Jesus, looking at verse 35 through 41. How can we see him? 
And this is where a blind man is our guide on how to see. This is the irony of this passage, that the disciples who had physical eyesight couldn't spiritually see and comprehend who Jesus was. And yet this blind beggar who we learned from the Gospel of Mark, his name was Bartimaeus, he was physically blind. And yet, with the heart of his eyes, he could see who Jesus was. So Jesus is approaching Jericho. This is a a common path that disciples, Jews, would take to celebrate Passover at the temple in Jerusalem. And there's this blind man named Bartimaeus, and he's sitting on the side of the road. He's desolate. He has nothing. And he's begging from these pilgrims, maybe for some food uh, or for some money. And as he passes by, uh, he calls out for Jesus to give him sight. And what we're going to see throughout this section is that this blind beggar gives us a model, an example of how to pursue genuine spiritual understanding, how to pursue genuine sight of Jesus. And there's a reality here in the passage. As we look at the, the chapter as a whole in chapter 18, who is it who actually sees Jesus and chooses to follow him? A blind beggar. Children and their needy mothers and fathers, a persistent widow, and a tax collector who beats his chest and says, I'm such a great sinner. So these four categories of people are the ones in chapter 18 who see Jesus. And there's a reality here. There's something here that we can learn that we won't really see Jesus until we realize we're nothing without him. We won't really see Jesus until we realize we are nothing without him. All these people, the children, the persistent widow, the tax collector, this blind beggar, were desperate for Jesus. And unless you're desperate for Jesus, you will distort his image. If you're not desperate for him, you will distort him into something he was never meant to be. He asked for your all. And so let's, let's learn from this blind beggar on how we can actually see Jesus for who he is. First, he has persistent prayer. He is like the, the widow, the persistent widow in the beginning of chapter 18. He calls out. Oh, first of all, he asks, who, what's this commotion I hear? And Jesus is walking through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. And people are like, okay, that's Jesus of Nazareth. You've probably heard of him. Miracles teaching, all these things. He says he's a prophet from God. And he just bursts out and yells, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people in front of him are like, shh, shut up. He's really important. You're just a beggar. Shut up. You're embarrassing us. And he keeps on shouting for Jesus. He persists in his prayer. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus sends for him. Jesus stops and commands the people around him to bring this blind beggar to him. And what we learn about this beggar's prayer is that he believes two things about Jesus. First, he believes that Jesus has the power and ability to heal him. That he's the son of David, the promised king. So he believes that Jesus has the power to heal him. The second thing he believes about Jesus is that he has the willingness to heal him. He trusts that the son of David, the king of kings, 
came for him, came for Bartimaeus. And this is faith. He hoped and trusted that Jesus, even though he's going with the crowd, even though that Jesus is an important teacher, wasn't too busy, wasn't too important to help this blind beggar. And so he calls out to Jesus. And in verse 41, Jesus responds to him. This is beautiful. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And this verse, as I was reading and reflecting on it throughout the week, is a beautiful invitation to prayer, and it reframes how we think about prayer. Whenever we pray in morning, evening, afternoon, we are beggars coming to the king of the universe. And in his love, in his condescension, he says, what do you want me to do for you? He knows what we need. He's sovereign over our lives, and yet he draws out our hearts. And Jesus, the King of Kings, says to you where you're seated, what do you want me to do for you? And there's no king like him. Kings demand our service, and yet this king is holy. He's different. He's other. King Jesus came, he said, not to serve, uh, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I wonder if Jesus, Jesus is asking you this question, what, would, what do you want me to do for you? How would you answer? Let's take a moment to think about that. In the stillness of your heart and mind, how would you answer that question? What do you want me to do for you? There are many good things you could, can and should pray. Lord, heal my marriage. Lord, give me a spouse. Lord, give me direction in life. Lord, take away my sickness and pain. All these are good, and you should take all these requests to Jesus. And yet Bartimaeus asks for kind of the obvious uh, request, and yet the one thing that is necessary for us. He asks for sight. He asks to see Jesus. And Jesus answers And with a word, he heals him. He says, receive your sight on the spot. And Jesus loves to answer these prayers for sight. And this is something I'll never tire of saying because this was my personal experience in 2009 when I was just feeling burdened for my selfishness, my lust, my addiction, my anger, my self-righteousness, all of that. And I heard about Jesus and I said, I think he could help. And I started talking to him. I said, Jesus, show me who you are. If you're really the Son of God, if you could take this burden away from me, show me who you are. And I prayed that for weeks, and one evening, he opened my eyes. And it was actually Matthew's account of Bartimaeus and another blind man that God used to open my eyes. And my life hasn't been the same ever since. And so Jesus, he loves to help us taste and see that he is good. Keep banking on that. In the New Testament, we have a couple prayers for, well, New and Old Testament, we have prayers for spiritual sight. And we can pull that up here. These are just guides as we we dive deep in seeking sight to see Jesus for who he is. The first is from Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. And it says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. 
So he's praying for these Christians. I pray that God would give you insight and wisdom into the revelation of who Jesus is. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So in Jesus is all wealth of wisdom and our glorious inheritance. And yet so often, even as Christians, we're blind to that. And this prayer is inviting us to pray. Jesus, help me to see all the treasures of riches of wisdom in you. And the next prayer is taken from the longest psalm, Psalm 119, verse 18. And this is a beautiful prayer before you open up Scripture to pray. Saints have been praying this for centuries. Psalm 119, verse 18 says, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. There are wonderful things in the scripture for us to see. And Jesus is at the heart of them. So we see that after we admit our blindness, we seek sight through Jesus. We want to see him for who he really is. And all we have to do is ask and have the faith to say, Jesus, please give me sight. And I just want to look at what happens after this blind man receives sight. So let's look at verses 42 and 43 and what happens when we actually see Jesus. Verse 42, Receive your sight, Jesus told him. Your faith has saved you. Instantly he could see. And he began to follow him, glorifying God. All the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So this man asked for sight Jesus gave him the healing, and he says, your faith has saved you. You are whole. You are mine. And he began to follow Jesus and glorify God. It's amazing if you, if you consider from Bartimaeus' perspective, we don't know if he was born blind or if he became blind later in life, but every single morning when Bartimaeus woke up, all he saw was darkness. Every single evening when Bartimaeus went to sleep, All he saw was darkness. And on this day, he hears that Jesus of Nazareth, the healer, the Savior, is passing through his city. And he asks for sight. And with a word, he opens his eyes. And the first time, we don't know how many years it's been, and the first face he sees is that of Jesus smiling on him. And with a whole heart, a heart on fire, Bartimaeus decides to follow Jesus even to Jerusalem, come what may. And he glorifies God with joy and gratitude. And all the people, when they saw it, they started glorifying and praising God. And so we see when we see Jesus, we are made whole, we are healed, we are saved. We see the smile of God in the face of Jesus. And this leads even to a community of disciples on mission. I I want you to turn, if you can, to Luke 24, verse 44. Luke 24, verse 44. And here we see the resurrected Christ. He actually opens the eyes of the disciples to understand all that was said in the scriptures about him. So Luke 24, verse 44. Jesus told them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. This is the key verse in 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. 
He also said to them, This is what is written, The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in His name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my Father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. So here, Jesus had already resurrected and he's walking on this road with two downcast disciples because their hope was crushed on a cross and buried. And they thought that Jesus was the Messiah, but now they realize maybe he wasn't. He's in the grave. And Jesus, the resurrected Christ, hiding his identity from them, comes to them, walks with them, and starts explaining again for the fourth time that the, the scriptures prophesied the Messiah will come, suffer, die, and resurrect. And it says that he opened their mind to understand the scriptures. And what entails is the book of Acts. These disciples who saw Jesus in all of scriptures, that what God promised about the Messiah is true, were set on fire for him, given the Holy Spirit, and proclaimed the gospel in Jerusalem and beyond with joy. And this is the result of seeing Jesus. As we open the scriptures week in and week out, our hearts burn within us and we go out with joy. The apostles were eyewitnesses of Jesus and their worship, their sight of Jesus, was their sight of Jesus fueled their worship and witness. And even when they were persecuted, they said, we can't help speak but of what we have seen and heard. And this is our greatest need as a people. We need to see Jesus. I was reminded this week, um, looking at this passage, of just how important it is to spend time looking at Jesus. It's so easy, especially as a pastor, one of the pastors, it's so easy to talk about Jesus than to sit at his feet and learn from Jesus. That is our greatest need. We need to see Jesus rightly and see ourselves rightly in his presence as beggars but loved sons and daughters. And when we do this, we'll find healing and strength and joy in his presence. All we need to see him clearly is to call out to him for mercy. As we turn towards the Lord's table, uh, the scriptures weren't the only place that the apostles saw and understood Jesus. Luke records that as the two disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus with Jesus and he was opening the scriptures to them, it was getting late on their journey. And they said, hey, won't you have dinner with us? Why don't you stay on this, uh, at this hotel or inn and have a meal with us? At this point, they hadn't recognized Jesus yet. And this is what Luke says. They reclined at a table and when Jesus took bread, blessed it and broke it, he gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And so as we come to the Lord's table to feast on Christ's broken body for us sinners and to drink in the cup which represents his blood shed for us, my prayer for us today is that we would recognize Jesus in the broken bread. This is for all who look to Jesus in desperate faith not clinging to your goodness or your righteousness or your work, but clinging to Christ. If that's not you yet, keep coming, keep hearing about Jesus and keep seeking him and asking, Jesus, give me sight. Help me to see you for who you really are.
For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took a cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray.